0: So I don't know if you've seen it or not, or if you've been hiding under a rock, but the Super Bowl just aired this past Sunday, and in there, there was an ad from the campaign known as He Gets Us. He Gets Us is nothing new, it's been around for a while, I've addressed this previously, but I want to specifically address this ad campaign that premiered in uh, the commercial and what it is supposed to be representing, but really, what are the underlining tones of what is actually being represented in this ad? So if you've already seen the ad, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to play through the whole thing, but the ad has different pictures of people washing other people's feet. Really what they're trying to do is they're trying to use a story of Jesus at the last supper, if you will, or the Lord's supper, the night before he was betrayed as he washes his disciples' feet. And the ad campaign ends with Jesus does not teach hate. He washed feet. And I find that hilarious for a few different reasons. One, we all know that Jesus didn't teach hate. Uh, It seems redundant and ridiculous to think that anyone is saying or portraying that Jesus did teach hate. It's very clear all throughout the New Testament that Jesus did not teach hate. No one is saying that Jesus taught hate. But what this is saying, though, underlined between these lines of that statement is that the objectors would say, no, 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 no. We know that Jesus didn't teach hate. But those individuals who are following the scriptures and are obeying what the Lord says and are calling out sin in other people's lives, they're the ones propagating hate. And that's the underlining tone within that. Secondly, when you look at what this ad is truly just all surrounded around is a time when Jesus washed feet. Now, Jesus was not on a feet washing campaign during his earthly ministry. When he fed the 5,000, he didn't line them all up and wash their feet. There's one instance in which Jesus did wash feet, and the people that he washed were his 12 disciples, John chapter 13 gives us this understanding of the washing of the feet. He didn't wash a whole bunch of people's feet. It was one instance, one time in which Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Now, they were in the upper room. This is when they would normally be celebrating Passover. But as Jesus was about to enact the new covenant, because he was about to offer up his life on the cross for sinful man, he instituted a new covenant, instituting the Lord's Supper, which we still practice today, when we reflect and remember what Jesus has done for us. So when, when we look at this ad and we look at the, the, the feet washing and everything else, we, we have to understand a few different things that's actually being happening here. Before I actually break down into the passage of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, uh, when we look at this He Gets Us campaign, Truly what the focus is in this campaign, and he gets us, is Jesus is being ripped apart from the scriptures, and not Jesus as it's described in the text, but it's a Jesus that we have made and concocted on our own, and we have made him in our own image. And really what this is pushing, the whole gets us movement, is pushing a social justice, social gospel. The social justice movement has been around since the early 1900s, and it kind of reveals its ugly head from time to time through the emergent church movement, through postmodernism. But really what this is looking at is um, this ad that is sadly even being supported by many Christians, uh, thinking that this is a great conversation starter. I don't think that this is a great conversation starter because as you're walking in the door of what this conversation is beginning with, you have a failure to launch. You're not even entering into this conversation in the right lens using Scripture as our guide. Rather, it's our own interpretation of what and who Jesus is. And if we were to put this in the class of uh, theological terms, if you will, or structures, this would be what we're looking at as uh, anthropology of the study of how societies develop. And really what this is, if we are using that as our classification system, this is neo-paganism. This is neo-paganism through a postmodern lens. And it's just a new paganistic movement where instead of us worshiping the creator, we're essentially worshiping ourselves. That instead of us dying to self, Uh, We are worshiping self. We are elevating the self. Instead of us submitting uh, to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we're submitting to uh, ourselves, which we do that all the time. We don't need help uh, thinking better about ourselves. We don't need our ego to get puffed up. The gospel penetrates that. Hebrews 4.12 talks about how it penetrates between bone and marrow, spirit and soul, how it illuminates our sin to ourselves, which requires a response for us. And so when we look at this, Um, The the, the whole social justice, the whole social gospel movement has truly been just woke influenced. It's woke ideology. And it just has demonstrated, sadly, for the majority of the evangelical world that supports campaigns like this, that think that there is more good than this than harm, and you just need to eat the meat and spit out the bones, you're failing to see the discernment here, that this is just a, a slow path. In my opinion, this isn't just at the entryway of bad, poor theology and woke influence, This is way further down the road than that. Uh, we, We do not need to be taking this campaign lightly. We do not need to be thinking, oh, no, well, at least they're saying the name Jesus. Who? Jesus. What? Jesus. The Jesus described in scriptures? Because if that's the Jesus they're trying to promote, they're not. There's nothing in any of this ad that talks about sin. Nothing in this ad talks about their need for a savior. It's all about just going out and washing people's feet breaking down the societal structures. And what you see with that, what you see with all of those structural systems is, again, a form of Marxism of these hierarchical structures in which you have those in power and then those without power. And those without power are the people who don't have as equal opportunities as everybody else. And therefore, those with power need to go down to the level of those without power and equal and level the plane. Now, the whole problem with Marx's ideology is that it only gets you to a certain point, but when you get to this quote-unquote utopian society, Marxism cannot answer for what you are supposed to do next. So what is the problem with social justice in the social gospel? One, social justice is not found anywhere in the scriptures, not once. And social justice, let me define what this is. This is a term that describes the idea that everyone has the right to equal upward mobility. And if you don't have those rights or abilities, there is something or someone holding you back. Basically, what this is describing is the thought process through intersectionality, critical race theory, and other ideological systems. And what this promotes is a victim mentality. It promotes a victim mentality that is prevailing amongst our culture and even influenced the church, sadly. And I've seen a lot of pastors and other people kind of cave into this kind of pressure. So the social justice is not... True justice. God is a God of justice. We know this through his attributes. God is a God of mercy. God is all perfect. God is powerful. God never changes. So when Jesus came to the earth and when we see the disciples go out through the Great Commission, it was for all peoples. There's no more of a distinction between Jew and Greek, between Gentile. It's all nations. And so when we look at the problem with the social gospel and the social justice movement, is that the entire movement is completely focused on the idea of personal identity. That's what this whole He Gets Us ad campaign is focusing on. It's you as the person, you as a person, you and your position, you and who you are and how you have been made and your job and how you identify yourself. And the whole focus is right there on self. This is humanism. Focus and worship of the creature rather than the creator. It is not how we have been made and through what lens we are to assume and to assess what the scriptures say on how we've been made. But it's how I view myself. It's how I view myself and how I identify myself. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says this, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ and God. As Paul writes this, this is showing us that our focus should be on Christ in our future hope, not on the right here, right now. When Jesus came to establish his earthly ministry, he did not come and establish a physical kingdom here. His kingdom was not of this world, but is the yet to come. So when we see here, even the disciples were asking right before his ascension in Acts, is it now you will establish your kingdom? And that's not the point. The point is not to make earth perfect. The goal of Christianity is to not make the earth a utopian society. No, the job of the Christian is to go out and to evangelize the lost, to share the love of Christ with them. And the most loving thing you can do in sharing the love of Christ with someone is to tell them about the wrath to come. Yes, there is wrath to come. You will be judged, the righteous person and the unrighteous person. The righteous who are in Christ will go to heaven. Those who are not will go to hell. But sadly, that campaign does not address that. It does not address anything. It makes you think that where you're at is okay. We just need to love you. And maybe that'll bring you into the kingdom. No, love without repentance is not love. I, if I'm going onto an airplane and I know that the airplane is going to crash and I have parachutes to distribute out to everybody, but I don't want to tell them that this plane is going to crash and I have a parachute that you can save yourself with because I just don't think it's loving for me to let them know, hey guys, just so you know, this plane's going to crash, but I got my parachute. So the most loving thing to do would be to inform the entire airplane and say, hey, this plane's going down. It is going to crash and everyone's going to die, but there is hope. Here's the parachute. Take the parachute. See, that, that's a, a not the best comparison with what Christ has done for us, but I think you get where I'm saying here. Now, when we look at this, too, with the, the dilemma of people assuming that this He Gets Us campaign can get the conversation going, uh, I think it is doing actually more harm than good. Um, when people are going to look at this as Jesus didn't take, teach hate, there's nothing in this that's actually telling them the truths of the scripture. And when you're paying that large amount of money for an ad like this, you could have better used those resources in a better way, or at least I would have loved to have seen something about sin and repentance. And no, I'm not splitting hairs here. Uh, I believe that this is a blasphemous commercial, and in no way is this in in help. Now, could could God use this somehow? Absolutely. God can do whatever he wants to do. But I think we need to be careful about just jumping on the bandwagon. So now let's talk about the washing of feet, the one that Jesus did. We find that in the gospel according to John, in John specifically chapter 13. Now in this, we see in verses 5 through 20, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Now I want to pull out a few verses here that is critical for us to understand and why you cannot apply this to that ad and how silly that ad is and how way off course that that ad is. So when we look at this, the Passover meal, this was the night of the Passover meal. The disciples were in the upper room. That night, that very night, Jesus was going to get betrayed by Judas. And so what happens here is God incarnate in the flesh comes down and humbles himself as a servant. And he goes to wash his disciples' feet. And when we see here in verse 5 of John chapter 13 and in 6, Peter, one of the disciples, came up to him and said, You're going to wash my feet? This was embarrassment. Peter was embarrassed that the king, that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to wash his feet. And he says, I don't want that. You cannot wash my feet. How dare you? So what's interesting about this is that the one who should have been washing the other person's feet, Peter should have been washing Jesus's feet. Jesus flips this on its head and saying, no, I did not come here to be served, but I came here to serve and to offer up my life on your behalf for the father's wrath of your sin that you have done. And so when we see this, verse 6 of John chapter 13 identifies here very clearly that this was showing the, the humility that Christ has and how he has humbled himself to the point of dying on the cross. Now, what's also interesting about this is that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him and he washes all the disciples' feet. But what he says here is he says, Peter, I need to wash your feet because if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. See, the washing of feet and the washing, when you look in the New Testament, that's a spiritual metaphor of the cleansing of sin. Now, this right here does not cleanse them of their sin. It was a representative item of what was going to come when Jesus died on the cross for their sins. But at this time, too, in verse 10, Jesus makes a clarification. He says this, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. See, even though Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet, that had no saving effects, that are no efficacy of eternal life. And he even says, one of you is not actually being cleansed spiritually. Yes, their feet were cleansed physically, but Jesus was not here to fix the physical. He was here to fix the spiritual of bringing dead people back to life. And that specific person was Judas. And Judas would later go on and betray Jesus. So when you, when you see what is happening here, you, you see the context of Jesus' washing the feet of the apostles and has absolutely nothing to do with just, Hey, you need to go out and wash your neighbor's feet. Or Jesus went out and he washed, he had that feet washing campaign. Jesus is correcting Peter's understanding or misunderstanding rather, when Jesus is washing the feet and Peter's like, you can't do this to me. And Jesus responds back and says, I have to do this. If you do not get washed by me, you will have no part with me. And so Jesus was correcting Peter's misunderstanding when he washes Peter's feet, that he did not come to the earth to create a utopia. He did not come to establish a physical kingdom where he was not a physical conquering king. That's what all the Jews assumed that the Messiah would be, but rather he was in a spiritual sense. Jesus came as a selfless sacrifice for the sins of his people. And you can find that in several different verses, which I'll put in the show notes. Now, Jesus did humble himself to the point of death, death on a cross, Philippians 2.8. And Peter needed to accept the fact that Jesus would also be humiliated in the manner of execution. So what he's saying here too is that only those who have been cleansed, washed by him, would have a saving relationship with him. So in the same sense today as we can look and apply this to the ad, just because their feet were washed doesn't mean that they have any part of Christ. Jesus did not teach hate. Yes. He only washed feet of the disciples. Yes. But what is being told to us that we need to understand today as Christians is the desire for the individual, or not just the desire, but our responsibility to go out and to evangelize the lost by letting them know you need to repent and turn from sin and follow Jesus Christ. And it is a submission to Christ. Jesus becomes the Lord of your life. And what's also interesting about this campaign is it almost makes it seem like you can continue on in this sinful lifestyle. But what Jesus has taught as well, and also in the New Testament, is we have to die to ourselves daily. We must take up our cross and follow Christ. What that is saying is that my desires, what I want, what I think is good for me, ultimately, if it is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it's sin. It's condemnation. And I do not need to be partaking in that. And I need to daily be taking up my cross and fighting the desires of my flesh, fighting the desires of what I want to do and only do what Christ wants me to do. See, when we look at all of this, And we understand what the context is of jesus washing feet and then we look at this horrendous ad that he gets us they completely miss the point they completely miss the bar and that's what happens when people who are trying to take a section of scripture pull it out and make it fit whatever they want it to fit people do that all the time where they'll read into the text what they want to read into the text to make it mean whatever they want but unless you actually look at what is being described here what the author is saying here and what was the point of this You're you're never going to arrive at truth. So the He Gets Us ad campaign doesn't even point people to truth. The only Christian thing about this is that it has the word Jesus in the campaign. But you could use that name and apply it to anything else, and the context remains the same, that it doesn't make it Christian just because it has Christian jargon or just because it has the name Jesus. We have to have more discernment with this stuff, guys. We cannot just blindly accept every single thing because it has the terminology Jesus or any other Christian slang. So when we see what this is saying here, a lot of people would say, well, all right, Ethan, hold on. Well, doesn't it, isn't it true that, And uh, maybe you guys have heard this, well, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Well, if you think that God loves the sinner or the person, but not the sin, you fail to realize too, that in the statement too, that Jesus didn't teach hate, listen to these two verses. One is in Psalm chapter five, verse five. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all workers of iniquity. What this is saying is that God hates sin or anyone who does sin. Psalm eleven five says, Yahweh tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. This isn't saying, though, for us as Christians that we go around screaming and telling people that God hates their sin to any particular group. What this is saying, though, is that anything done in the flesh, anything done from our selfish impulses is sin. And that leads to death. Not one particular sin being worse than the other, but all sin damns a person to hell. Romans 8, 13 says this, for if you are living according to the flesh, that is our natural state, my desires, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. So you can be washing these, people, these people's feet and you can be showing them so much love and whatever their short spans of their time on this earth is, Ultimately, though, without Christ, they're going to hell, and that is not loving for you to allow them to continue to go to hell. We should be pleading and begging them to repent and turn from their sins. Additionally, uh, finally with this, I want to address the social gospel aspect of their salvation that they're pushing. It's not catered or prescribed for any one particular people group, which is what they make it look like with this victimhood thing, which is what they look, make it look like with this intersectionality and everything else, is that one people group is discriminated against the other. Romans 10, 11 through 13 says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul also makes this very clear where there is no distinctions. We do not need the social gospel. There is no distinctions. And he says this in Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. The word nations and the word Gentile in this sentence is the same Greek word ethnos, which is where we get our term ethnicity. So it's every ethnicity will come to know who Christ is, or has the ability to know who Christ is. If they hear the gospel preach and they repent, see there's no such thing as racism. There's one human race. Everything else is just a social construct, but there is different ethnicities and Jesus died for every ethnicity. Not one particular group over the other But for all ethnicities. And the gift of salvation is open to everyone if they repent and confess of their sins, turn from their wicked ways, and follow Christ. That is what we need to understand here, because what he gets us is pushing, if you really want to look at this too, it's pushing a form of universalism, meaning it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something and you have love towards someone else, you're going to go to heaven. So if your faith, though, is placed in the atoning work of Christ, then yeah. Uh, you're, you're that is where it needs to be. But if your faith is placed in yourself, then probably not. If your love is directed towards pleasing God and obeying his commands in the scriptures, then yes. If your love is based on this earth centric viewpoint on a horizontal viewpoint, or I'm just going to show love to everybody else, then no. Now, does this mean that Christians should not be loving to their neighbor? Uh, No, of course we're supposed to be loving to our neighbor. Does this mean that we can't go out and witness to the homosexuals or the transgenders or the individual who had abortion? Of course we are supposed to. Are we supposed to love them? Yes, but we must also share the gospel of Christ with them. That is the most loving thing we could ever do. By just continuing to let them live in sin, it is not loving when we have the answer and we know the hope and the hope is in Jesus Christ. I hope this helps you guys out you really need to be looking into this stuff and not just accepting this and also talking to other people about the, the harmfulness that these types of commercials can have. Uh, it is an open blasphemous statement here, and sadly, it's revealing for where many people fall theologically if they are in support of this. Um, hopefully, this helps, guys. Uh, if you, you like this video, drop a comment down in the comment section, like and subscribe to the channel. I look forward to seeing you guys in another video. And if you have any other requests, let me know. Have a good one, guys.